Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. Well, I hope you had. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and I hope that you had an opportunity to do turkey bowling, which is outside. And if you haven't had a chance to do that, it's kind of fun. And I'll be out there after service, see if you can beat me at turkey bowling. And I hope that you had an amazing time blessing your server. As you know, we did the challenge. We issued a challenge several weeks ago that between now or between then and Thanksgiving to go out to dinner and to leave an extravagant tip as an example of generosity and is it acting generous in your own life and seeing what God does? And it's easy to be cynical about such a thing or go, yeah, you know, whatever. My wife and I, we did that on uh, Wednesday. We were out to dinner with some friends and who don't go to our church. And it was kind of cool because when we when came time to pay the bill, you know, we kind of shared with them what we were doing. And so they got excited and they jumped in on it as well. And, and it was really cool. And, and for us, you know, it wasn't like one of those things where we had this great story to tell, at least on our end. It was kind of leave the tip and go. But of course, we were, it was, it was a joyful thing. You know, we didn't miss the money. We were so glad to do it. But then yesterday morning, um, a guy came up to me and he said, because this is at, at Starbucks, actually. I, I never, ever go there. And um, I just happened to be there on a lark. No, I'm joking. I'm there all the time. And, 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 and this guy came up to me and he said, Tim, he said, we were at the wigwam last week and we had dinner or lunch or something. I can't remember what it was. And he said, the bill, I think it was lunch because he said the bill was $32. And we had got talking to the server and we had a great conversation with her and we just felt led that she was the one that we needed to leave our extravagant tips. So we thought, well, what's extravagant? And so they said, well, should it be 100% of the bill, which is 32? They're like, well, no, let's go for more than that. So they said, well, what about $50 tip? So well, what about about $100 tip? So they leave a $100 tip for the server and of course she takes the bill and then they come back and they sign it and then she takes it away again and she comes back and she says, is this correct? And they said, well, yes, it is. And at this point she begins to tear up and she's kind of embarrassed so she turns and she just kind of walks away. So I was telling the story yesterday at the 4.30 service. And as I'm telling the story, the woman who is the roommate of the server is in the service. And she's hearing this story and she says, oh my gosh, I know this person. And she texts her and she says, they're talking about you in church. <laughs> so after the service, I'm back in the green room and someone comes in and says, hey, the, the lady that got the tip is outside. She wants to talk to you. I was like, uh-oh, you know, <laughs> what did I do now? And so after we had our little, we do a little debrief meeting where we kind of go over the service and, and try to make everything better. And so after we were done with that, I went out and I met her. And she said, you know, I, I, I don't even know exactly what to say to you, but when I heard that you were telling the story, she said, I felt like I just needed to come. She was at home. She said, I needed to come down and I needed to talk to you. I don't know exactly what to say, but let me just tell you this. You don't know this, but I've only been to this church 
three times. And I was in the service where you offered and extended the challenge and to leave the extravagant tip. And when I heard you say that, in my mind, I said, that won't happen to me. God doesn't do that for me. He won't do that for me. That kind of thing doesn't happen. And she said, I want you to know that what has happened to me is proof that God has not forgotten about me. Because I feel so forgotten. And she had her three girls. She's a single mom. And she had her three girls. I think two of them were teenagers and one of them was a little younger. And she said, can you pray over us? And so we sat, we stood out in, in the courtyard and I prayed over these four women for strength and for healing and for hope. And I told her, I said, you have to understand what God did. You have to understand that, that in order for this to have happened, you had to be in this service when we offered this challenge to the congregation so that you could have the response where you would say, this doesn't happen to me. And then the other couple had to also be in the service on that weekend where they decided to do it. Then you both had to meet in the, at the wigwam unbeknownst to one another because this couple did not know you. They had no idea who you were. And she had no idea that this couple was even in our church. She just knows she got hit with this tip. And so, so I said, you, so then that had to happen. Then you had then the guy that left the tip. I had to see him yesterday at like seven thirty in the morning, where he came over to me and told me the story. And then your roommate had to be in church that afternoon. What is God trying to tell you? And she goes, "I can't believe it." She gave me permission. I asked permission, and I got a photo with her. And so here we are. That's her. And. Uh, She's like, God is real, and he hasn't forgotten me. And you guys, you know, we do these things because the scripture tells us to do them, and then we do them on faith, and we don't know what God is doing behind the scenes. We don't know how he's moving the pieces on the chessboard. So we throw things out there, and we trust him. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 5. We're starting a new series called Awkward Family Christmas. And it's patterned after the Awkward Family Photos series, which if you haven't seen any of those are pretty funny. But we need your help, you know. We thought about this and we're trying to make it fun. And you may see photos of the staff over the weeks, um, you know, some of us kind of popping up into these graphics. But if you have an awkward family photo and you'd like to be part of our graphics over the next few weeks here at Compass Church, then send your awkward family photo to B at compasschurchaz.com and you just might see yourself up on the screen. So we wanted to offer that to you. And whether you do it or not, who knows, but from now on, any of the pictures you see, you'll go like, do they, do they go to our church? So <laughs> this could be fun, you know? So, you know, give it a shot and see what happens. So if you have a Bible, like I said, go ahead and turn it, you op to, open it up to Luke 1, uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 5, sorry, or open it up in your app. But why Awkward Family Christmas? Why do we call it that? Well, you know, the Christmas story is all about the miracle of God becoming man and meeting us where we are at. It is all about this incredible bridging of the gap between humanity and our Creator, 
It is about hope. It is about redemption. It is about forgiveness and all of that. And yet at the same time, it is a very real and raw story that invaded the lives of everyday normal people with everyday normal problems who are just trying to make it through. And all of a sudden, bam, everything gets turned upside down. So you have a teenage girl who gets pregnant and her fiance is not the father. How was that for a scandal, right? And all of a sudden, what, what happens with the family? And oh, what are we gonna say? And how is this gonna work? And, what, and it's awkward. And it's weird, and it's normal people in normal human relationships that have their faults and everything else. And then you have Elizabeth and Zechariah, whom we're going to talk about today, who she gets pregnant later on in her life after she did not expect at all to have a child. And she goes into seclusion because she doesn't want anybody to know. And then all of these real, everyday kind of things happen with everyday kind of people. And so in a time in, in our lives during the year when family just comes up because of we're meeting with them and we're buying them gifts and we revisit these old wounds. Is it possible for God to do great and unexpected things through ordinary people in awkward situations? And I believe that it is. And we're going to be able to experience and explore that throughout the scripture as we look at the various characters involved in this crazy, awkward family that Jesus invaded way back when. And so as we look at the arrival of Jesus and how it affected these characters, I want to start off with this question. Is it possible to live simultaneously with great contentment and great expectation? In other words, is it possible to sustain a life at peace where you live with peace and you live with joy and you live obediently with a sense of contentment in your heart, even though there may be like these gaping holes, even though there may be things that you desperately want and haven't gotten, and yet at the same time, live with great expectation that God is not done with you yet. Live with great expectation that, there's, that God's gonna come through, that there's gonna be more. So can we simultaneously live at peace with content and yet almost at the same time, a holy discontent? That's the question I wanna pose to you because it's very easy to become convinced that things will always be the way that they are and that God won't show up because he, ha- he didn't in the past or he hasn't yet, so maybe he's not ever going to and I'm just gonna be okay with that. And so today we're going to look at the story of Zechariah, who's the husband of Elizabeth, and what happens to him in an event that occurred about a year and a half or so before the birth of Jesus. And so let's read this, and we'll get into it, starting in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to read a lot of scripture, because the scripture tells the story the best. And it says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. Now that's the by the way, that's the division is the group of priests that he's in. There's 24 divisions of priests and they would take turns at various times, like spend a week out of the year and they would go into the temple on temple duty. And they would, you know, replace the incense and they would fix things up and do whatever. And they do the priestly functions for that given week. And so he was in this particular division. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, we know two things about this couple. Number one, they were godly. They were blameless before the Lord, and they walked in his statutes. They weren't sinless, but they were examples that could be held up as, this is how you do it. 
This is how you follow God with integrity. The second thing we know about them is that they didn't have any children. Now, there are a lot of couples that don't have children, but back then it was particularly more difficult because when you have a child today, that's like a good idea when you want to like maybe take out an insurance policy, like life insurance or whatever, because you have a child and you want to protect that child. But back then, your child was your insurance policy because the child would ensure that your family line not only would live on, but that you would be taken care of when you're older and that your possessions and that your business would be run when you're older and you can't do it anymore. And so you, it would really, children really were in many ways an insurance policy for you. And if you did not have them, that was an occasion for not only at worst, um, a sense of kind of like embarrassment, but at best, just a sense of fear about how are you going to make it when you're older. So this is a real thing that they're dealing with here. So then all of a sudden, this happens in verse eight. Now, while he was on duty, serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, that's what it said, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So what happens is, He's, he's uh, in his, his time to be able to do the temple duty, and he was chosen by a lottery. And he, in fact, he was picked out of 18,000 priests to go into the temple. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him to be the one person to go into the Holy of Holies, and he be the one to go into the most holy place, and at that moment— he would be representing the entire nation of Israel before God. So like, this is a big deal. Like, I mean, he went and got his robe dry cleaned, you know, waxed his camel. So then he was riding in like, this is an important day. And like I said, he would have been the focal point of the entire Israelite or Jewish nation at that point. So, this is what happens when he goes into the temple. Again, he's got his 15 minutes of fame. It's never going to happen again. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Very common response, by the way, when we see angels or anything supernatural is to be afraid, which is kind of sad because God wants to do good things in our lives. And when he visits us, the common response in scripture is most often fear. And so then the most common response to that is what happens next. The angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And that's in bold, so you gotta remember it. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So here he is with all these people outside. He's got this one job that he wants to do well because if he messes it up, you know, like then like the next priest will go in and go, man, the last priest was, did a terrible job. And you know, he's got all this pressure on him. And in the midst of all that, this angel of God shows up and tells him news that will forever change his life. And he tells him your prayer has been answered. 
Isn't that an amazing thing? Wouldn't you love it if when you prayed to God, you would get this like little response like, your prayer has been heard. Wouldn't that, it's kind of like when you send a text message and you can see, you know, it's been read. And then you're like, all right. Come on, you know, you're waiting for them to, to respond. You're maybe a little neurotic about it, right? How come they haven't gotten back to me? It says they read it. Wouldn't that be great though? So you just know. You say, well, okay, well, Zechariah, he's a priest and he's been praying. What's he been praying for all this time? Well, I think he's been praying for two things. As a priest, he'd be praying for the coming of the Messiah because the coming of the Messiah was prophesied in scripture. It had been like the great expectation of their entire nation for for hundreds, thousands of years. We believe that the Messiah is going to come from God. And then also he's going to set us free from these terrible Romans who are taxing us and they're crazy gods everywhere and they make us pay tribute to them and we just would just throw them off and then the Messiah can lead and all of the stuff that we've been praying for and hoping for and we read about in Isaiah and all these other prophets can come true. And so we'd be praying fervently for the arrival of the Messiah, which is a real change for them. But as a man... And as a husband, he'd also be praying for a son. But I have a feeling that it got to the point where maybe he didn't pray for the son as much anymore because, you know, at some point you go, ah, oh, that ship has sailed, right? I mean, it's not probably going to happen. But here comes the angel, and he's basically saying, I'm going to answer both of these requests. God is going to provide for both of these because you're going to have the son who's going to be John the Baptist. By the way, John the Baptist and he's going to be the one who's going to proclaim the arrival of the Messiah. It's huge. Now, it would have been perfect if Zechariah, when he heard you're going to have a baby and he's going to prepare the way of the Messiah, if he would have just said something like, wow, thanks. That's, that's awesome. Um, so is Elizabeth pregnant now, or should I stop by CVS and get some flowers and wine on the way home, you know? But if he just would have said something like that, like, this is cool, this is great news. But this is not what he does. Instead, he responds this way in verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Oh, come on, man. See, this is so weird. Because wait a second, you have, Isaiah, you have a Zechariah who's like this godly great man who's this priest and he would have known all of the history of Israel and he would have been praying for the coming of the Messiah and like right in there, right? And then the minute that like he's told that his prayer's answered, he's like, well, how am I gonna know, man? I mean, his basic response is, come on, there's no possible way that this can happen. Humanly speaking, this doesn't happen. And how do I know you're not just putting me on, right? How am I gonna know? Why does he do that? Why, when he has all of this faith, when he has all of this godliness and all of this obedience and presumably contentment in following the Lord and maturity in his life, why then when he's presented with the answer to his prayer, does he not believe it? And then I have to ask myself the question, why do I not believe? When God comes through for me, why do I not believe that God will come through for me? Why do I not believe that he's at work in my life right now and providing the answer to the very thing that I'm praying for? Why do we do this? 
See, I think part of it is, is like what's hard is, is Zechariah, you know, he had gotten used to the way things were. And he's over here and he's like, you know what? I get it. It's not going to happen, but I'll be okay with it anyway. And that's a good place to be. Because if all you're doing is hanging, you know, your happiness on something that you want God to give you, you're doing what a lot of people do when you're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. And you got to make sure that your Christianity does not consist of asking the creator for something that you think in creation will give you what you need that only the creator can give you. You know what I'm saying? In other words, like, sometimes we go, well, God, you know, I'll only be happy if you give me this, as opposed to saying, you know, God, I'm going to find my joy in you. And he did that. But then when it came time to the answer, for the answer, it didn't, it didn't happen. He wasn't there. He, wasn't, he didn't see it. He got to the place where he said, God doesn't do that kind of stuff. He got to the place where he said, you know, that might happen, but it doesn't happen to me. Which again is weird because all throughout Israel's, Israel's history, they've got examples. Women like Sarah, the wife of Abraham, right? Rebecca, Rachel, the mother of Samson, Hannah, who's the mother of Samuel. All of these women and their stories would have been well known to Zechariah because God showed up when these women had, when no one thought, when they thought their cause was totally lost and then God gives them a child that ends up being this incredible, life-changing, culture-changing person. He would have known this. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't do, he won't do that for me. He won't do that for me. Isn't it funny how we just told a story at the beginning of our time. God doesn't do that kind of thing. Not for me. Not for me. Mm. Have you gotten to the place where you feel like your time has passed? Have you gotten to the place where you thought, well, you know, maybe five years ago, maybe 10 years ago, I could really find joy. I could really find peace. I could, really, I could really be used of God to do great things. Maybe back then, but not after the things that I've done. And not after this window of time has passed. And not because of the age that I am in. It's too late. So I'm just going to be over here and I'll follow God, but I'm really not going to actually expect him to do the things he says he can do. Is that you? Because if it is, you've fallen into the same trap as Zechariah. And it's not good. Because the angel <laughs> hears this question like, well, how do I know? And he's not a happy angel. He's lost his cherub-like demeanor. <laughs> as one comedian used to say a lot. He, he's, he, you know those little porcelain angels, you know? Like, like it's not him right now. He's like, a, he's like a mad angel. This is what he says in verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And you ruined it. <laughs> That's my paraphrase. But we know it's there because, this, look at it. And behold, in other words, buckle up, dude. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will, will be fulfilled in their time. Hmm. That's how what I would have done. I'd be like, hmm. And I would have just flown away in my angel wings. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Gabriel, he's a big angel. He's not an intern angel. He's not a temp angel. No offense to you temps. 
There's only two angels named in the Bible. So if you get one of those like angel naming books, like names of angel books from some relative for Christmas, you can just chuck that thing. Because it'd be a really small book because it's really Gabriel and Michael and the rest of them are anonymous, right? That's it. So there's not all these angel names. There's only two. And Gabriel is up there, man. He's like a hardcore angel. You do not want to mess. He's mentioned in Daniel. And he's like, he's the guy. Like he, when the big stuff needs to happen, he's the guy, right? So he's like, do you know who you're talking to? So there you go. The good news is, man, you're old and you're going to have a baby. That's good news. Bad news is you're not going to be able to say anything about it or anything else for that matter until the child's born. So there you go. Why? Because you didn't believe. What's wrong with you, man? You've been studying this your whole life. You believe in God. You follow God. You obey God. You are content in Him. And that's praiseworthy to live your life without children and to still be called upright and not be all angry at God, mad at God, and bitter at God. You know, everyone goes, oh, poor them. No, they were cool. But when God came down to answering their prayer, well, how do I know? Okay. So back to the original question, then how do I simultaneously live with great contentment and at the same time live with great expectation that God is going to do awesome things in my life? Well, I thought about this for a while and it was very hard to think because I usually do my sermons on Thursdays and last Thursday was Thanksgiving. So I was in a turkey coma and I was really worried. I'm like, dude, am I going to have anything intelligent to say about this? So I was like trying to think and think and think and think. And then I came up with this. So to help us understand, I've made... Another drawing. Yes. So this is my drawing. Here we go. Um, this is my Christmas tree. It's a beautiful Douglas fir, don't you think? Um, it's very well represented as the real. Now, or is it more of a noble? I don't know what it is. But it's a Christmas tree. You see it up there. And there are two ornaments hanging from the Christmas tree in the spirit of Christmas, which is now here. And on the first ornament is contentment. And in the second ornament is expectation. And I believe that you can hang both of those ornaments on the same tree. And so one says, contentment, I have what I need. I'm at peace with my situation. The other says, yes, but I live with constant expectation that God's going to answer my prayer and he's going to fulfill his promises. And I never stop believing and hoping. And so the expectation, by the way, what I mean by that is I never get cynical. See, we have this dog. His name's Wesley. And he's a cute little dog. And, um, we have, the thing about him is, see, animals can teach you stuff, right? They can teach you certain things. And our dog teaches us to never become cynical because he never gets cynical no matter what because he stays inside, you know, a lot, but then when we leave during the day, we have to throw him outside because otherwise he'll pee on stuff because he just likes to pee on things. So um, around 7.30 in the morning, he has a little dog bed he sleeps on and one of us has to go over and we throw him out and that's the end of the, you know. Now, we do play with him a lot, okay, but at 7.30 on a weekday morning, it's like, sorry, dude. So, so when he's sleeping on his little dog bed, we go over to the back door. Okay, Wesley, time to go out. And you think, like, this is the greatest thing. Like, he all of a sudden just shot of adrenaline, like, woohoo, you know? And you know in his little doggy mind, he's thinking, this is going to be the greatest day ever, man. We're going to play frisbee, and we're going to play, like, fetch with the ball, and we're going to go on a hike, and we're going to go on a walk, and I'm going to eat all kinds of food. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to hang out as a family all day. This is going to be the greatest day ever. And so he runs through the back door, then he's spinning around, like, I can't wait to get out. I can't wait to get out. And we open the door, and he goes, flying out. And all of a sudden, here's the bam. Door shuts behind him. And you can see he just stops in his tracks. He's like, oh. I did it again, every single day. Why? Right? 
and he, he never learns, right? And we're like, when is the dog gonna, when is he finally gonna say, that's it, right? He's gonna get cynical. So you go over to the back door and you open the door, and he's like, no, I've been hurt too many times from you people. I'm not letting myself get hurt again. You know, he doesn't do that. It's like he forgets. It's like Groundhog Day, you know? He's like, woo! But he never stops believing. Yeah, we do go out and play with him. And so he's got some reinforcement there. But, but, but it's just funny to us. He doesn't get it. He's never one. He always approaches it like this is it. And sometimes it is it. And so he teaches us, you just can't ever be cynical. You never stop believing. Now, here's the deal. You say, well, fine. If I hang my, my, uh, my contentment and my expectation ornaments on the tree, what is the tree? And the tree that I will submit to you is this. It is God's will. That's the tree. So you hang all of your contentment and all of your expectation on God's will. And when you can do that, and, you, and both of those things are hung on the reality of God's will, you can simultaneously live with peace about today, and then this like total enthusiasm, like this crazy, goofy, beagle, lab, mixed dog that we have that never gets it. And you can do both of those simultaneously. And how is that possible? Well, listen to what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, but seek first, not second, third, or fourth, not when you have time, seek first as the aim of your life, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say, live as though God actually rules your life, that his rules actually are true. Live as though the way to peace and the way to happiness and the way to joy is actually found in the obeying. Now, this is very important because a lot of people think, well, if I obey God, which is going to kind of suck, then I'm going to have good things that happen that God's going to throw my way, like rewards, like promotions and extra money and love and all this stuff. So if I do the hard work over here of obeying God, then I'll have good things that get piled on top. But that's not what it is. You see, the joy and the fulfillment and the wonder and the holy cow, this life makes sense. I love everything about what the life I've been given. Sure, there's challenges and issues and frustrations and everything else, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. That all comes from a long-term lifestyle of living as though God's actually in charge. See, people will say, well, okay, you know, I want to go out and have my fun. So I'm going to go party every night or whatever else. And then I know at some point, you know, I got to start doing things God's way and I got to get serious. And then, okay, so the, the fun is done. But that's not the way that it is. The problem with that thinking is you think that the fun is actually found in that. And while there's certainly temporary fun and in the moment fun, we know that going out and partying every night ends up ruining your relationships, ruining your life. You end up getting a DUI. You'll end up, you know, end up in rehab. You end up blowing all your cash and making stupid decisions. And you end up with videos on Facebook from what you did at two in the morning or Instagram or whatever. And you're embarrassed about it And you're like, please untag me from that. And, you know, and, and it's just like a life of shame and regret and guilt and whatever else. So that's never designed to be the kind of thing that God wanted to give you. Here's the deal. You don't realize God wants you to have joy. It is God's 
will that you have joy. It is God's will that you have peace. It is God's will that you have contentment. It is God's will that you have wonder. So he says, do it this way. Follow me. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. So this is the problem I have with the name it and claim it people. The name it and claim it people are the ones that go, well, if you just speak something or like the word faith movement, if you say it and you believe it, God will do it. So if you say, I want a Lamborghini and I believe God's gonna give me a Lamborghini and you really believe, man, you can go down to Scottsdale and pick one of those suckers up. I want a bright green one. Yeah, okay, it's gonna happen. You know, you, whatever. Maybe not today, but I'll put pictures on the refrigerator and I'm gonna like focus on it every day and everything else. Here's the problem with that. Okay, what you're basically saying is I'm gonna say my will and then God's gonna do it. I got news for you. God isn't interested in doing your will. He's interested in doing his will. And why would you want him to do your will when he could do his will? Because his will's better than your will. Sorry. And we make this massive assumption, well, you know, God, you're gonna do what I wanna do because I believe it. Doesn't say that anywhere in scripture. So that's why sometimes you pray and you don't get the things that you want. And that's a bummer. It's a bummer for everybody. But at the same time, God does give you the things that he wants to give you. And he gives you the things that you do need. And he gives you the things that keep you inside his will. Because he's never gonna give you something. Like, oh God, I'm lonely, I want a relationship. Okay, that's great. But God doesn't wanna put you in a relationship with a person that's gonna draw you away from him. So sometimes you, you will, I was lonely and God brought this person around. And yeah, maybe they're not a Christian yet, but you know, the God's, I know that they'll, they're gonna come to Jesus at some point. And then, but, but I just believe it's God's will. Why is it God's will? How is it God's will for you to, to, to be involved in a romantic relationship with someone who's not a Christian when that person is invariably always going to take you away from him? You think that's God's will? See, the expectation part is I expect that God is actually going to do his will. And so I align my expectations with him and I believe that he will do what he says he's going to do. Well, what is he going to do? Well, I don't know. I mean, shoot, Jesus came to the earth and what did he came to the earth to do? Bring forgiveness, bring restoration, bring freedom, bring peace, bring reconciliation, bring wisdom, bring joy. He's gonna bring all those things. And it all starts at the cross, right? You know, with forgiveness and everything else. But he, he says, I came to bring all these things gifts and all these things to you. This is the will of God that you experience these things in your life. So if it's the will of God that you can experience peace and joy and freedom and reconciliation and forgiveness and restoration and renewal and a second chance, a mulligan at life, if it is God's will that you experience those things, then you can expect those things to happen. So don't be blind when they do. You know what I'm saying? Look for them. Some of us in here who are older, we have children that are not walking with the Lord. And it breaks your heart. But you've gotten to the point where you are content. Content to live and follow him, and that's a good thing. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever, I don't know if they'll ever change their ways. I just have to be content and just put it in God's hands, which you do. But you stop that expectation. You stop that prayer. You, you, you gave up. 
and you resolved yourself because it's too painful to think about. And I want to challenge you, never stop believing. Never stop praying for an unsaved child. Never stop praying for a child that, that has walked away from the Lord and is living a lifestyle that is ruining them. Never, never quit. Never give up. See, the hard thing is for the young people in here because some of you guys just have to take this on faith because it doesn't seem obvious right out. But see, the thing is, as you build, as, you, as you're walking with the Lord in your life, you build something called ballast. Now, I don't know much about boats, but I do know this, that what keeps a boat from capsizing is something called ballast. And ballast is the weight of the boat at the bottom of the boat right? It could be kind of under it or like, you know, part of it. And it's, it's the weight. And the heavier the ballast in the boat, the better equipped the boat is to handle the wind and the waves of the sea. So as you are trusting in God in your young life, and as you're saying no to the things of the world, which is very hard to do, because the world wants to say, well, do this, do that. And you go, no, that's stupid. No, God says do this. Sorry. And everyone's going to look at you like, what's wrong with you? What you're doing is you're building ballast. You're building weight, substance. And over time, man, that sucker just becomes solid. And then these crazy things happen, and you're like, I'm good. Because the temptations and the difficulties and the challenges that you have no idea you're going to face, you're able to handle them because you've built a life where you've weighted that sucker down and you've become strong. So don't get that. When, when, you, when you obey God over a long period of time, you don't become weaker, you become stronger. And the things that you never thought would bring you joy, bring you joy. See, and I'll tell you, I can tell you from personal experience because like if you'd have told me 20 years ago, like, oh, you know, Tim, um, you know, you're gonna have this church called Compass Church and you're gonna live out in Arizona and blah, blah. And, and, and I would have been, you know, I've been like, oh, that's cool. But like 20, 25 years ago, that wasn't what was on my mind, you know? Like I wanted to be a pastor, but I wanted to be like, like a popular pastor, you know? Like I want to have some books written with my name, you know? How I am a great pastor, part three. <laughs> with book signings at Barnes and Noble. And people would line up around the door all the way down to the Total Wine Place, you know, over there on the field. And they would just line up and I could sign the books. And then we have to keep be building bigger and bigger buildings because I, because I followed and trusted God and I could tell my story. And I just like, wow, I can, if I just try really hard, someday I'll be this great pastor. You know, last thing I, I would think is like, well, you know, what if the church, you know, doesn't grow the way you want it to grow? And so, but I'm like, well, how would I ever be happy? And if you told me, you know what, Tim, you're going to find like such an unbelievable, unbelievable amount of joy just being married to your wife just being married to your wife and just watching your kids grow, just watching them, just watching every year. And yeah, they're going to frustrate you sometimes. Sometimes you want to like put them out on the curb on bulk trash day and, you know, <laughs> but, but man, you're just going to find all this joy in just like, 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 live, like, like living that life under the rule of God. And you're going to have this staff. And you're going to have these relationships with them. And you guys are going to be tight. You almost speak the same language. And you're going to have this loyalty and trust with each other. And you're going to have this church that for some reason, they still let you be their pastor. And, and, like, and there's going to be this life that you don't even, you cannot see it now. 
and I would not have believed you. But God has answered all of my prayers in ways I never thought he could have. Now, are there things that I prayed for that maybe I haven't gotten yet? Sure. But I don't necessarily need those things. And I say all this to you because you can never get to the point where you get cynical in your life. And the way out of that is, again, you believe God's will. Look at this story that I told at the beginning. These people spent $100 on a tip. And they told me, they're like, they sent me a text. They said, we, we're blown away by the, by the work of God. Like, she's crying tears of joy over the fact that she was able to be used by God this way. To, to, to play a role in helping a woman, a single mom, to play a role. It costs $100 so that a single mom could break down and say, God hasn't forgotten me. You can't buy that kind of joy this couple has for a million dollars. You can't buy it. You can't buy it for $5 million because there's plenty of people with $5 million that hang themselves. I'm not happy. A hundred bucks. For joy that will just continue to compound. And they have that in their little treasure chest that they'll be able to reflect on for all of eternity. And they'll meet God someday and say, God, thank you that you used me for that. And she's over here, a woman who, like all of us, God, where are you? I'm right here. So, you have the unfortunate situation of not having a service after this, so I talk longer. <laughs> but I'll end with a poem. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might humbly learn to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given, fir given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for but everything I'd hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all people, most richly blessed. Like I got it. Like I got it. Expect God to show up in your family. Expect God to show up in your finances. And not as some magic genie, but as the God who works wonders in ways you could not have seen. So don't be blind to it. He keeps his promises and he does his will. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Christ for the first time and you say, God, if that's the kind of God you are, if you break through to people and you remind them miraculously by your power that they are not alone and they are not forgotten, I want to tell you right now, I'm one of those people. God, thank you for not forgetting about me. Tell them that right now. If you've never prayed 
to receive the grace of Jesus, to follow him. If you've never prayed that prayer, if you've never come to terms with him, do it now. Say, God, I'm coming back to you. Hear me running back. I've been living as though you're not there and you don't care. Now I want to live under your house, under your rules, by faith. God, I believe that you did join yourself with humanity. I believe that you did send Jesus to stand in my place and take my sin because you're a giving God and you're a forgiving God. And I need that. Thank you for the times that you loved me when I was at my worst and you received me now as a son and a daughter. For the rest of us who've maybe already prayed that prayer, but you know, you just got to the place where you're like, yeah, it's too late. It's time to recapture that vision, to recapture that hope. That's why these stories are written down, folks. Because God's in the business of making all things new. And so God, we ask for each person in here, I pray for us as a congregation, that we would see you do amazing things. That we, you wouldn't do our will, but that you would do your will in us. Flood our lives with your peace and your joy. And may we never, ever stop believing. Never, ever stop believing. That you're there and your power is right next to us and all around us. And we expect amazing things from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.